Section 16 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Braden in Leisurely Autumn, Part 3 Lady Bradeners. In the old days, the Bradeners' wives had to do their share towards the family's earnings. Pintail Thomas's mother used to hawk round at Gentleman's Housen, offering for sale wildfowl, smelts, and eels captured by her lord and master, and various hotel keepers were amongst her regular customers. Snicker Larn mentioned others who did so, and remembered old Poker Lambs and Cooper's Missuses, not only doing that but helping their husbands to do the catching. He could remember when half a dozen of these queer women regularly set the market on Saturdays with various game, including numbers of eels. One queer character was Ely Bowles, a wrinkled old lady who ripped off eel skins as easy as shedding a glove. One morning, a sympathetic customer pitied the victims and remarked to Ely, How those poor creatures must suffer! Oh, good gracious no, ma'am, said Ely Bowles, with an air of real surprise. Lord bless you, missus, they don't mind being scun, they're used to it. She had scun so many in her day that she had begun to think the eels a part of her own personality. As a lad, I used to gaze wonderingly on old Betty Fox, the last of the eel women, who came regularly to market on Saturdays with a big kid of eels, mostly of a goodly size. She sold her eels at the then regulation price of sixpence per pound. She was dressed in some indescribable material that looked as if it had been fished out of Braden, and was fronted with an old sack apron with pockets to hold her takings. Her scales were made of two ancient saucepan lids, not so well balanced as they might have been, each hung by three cords to a homemade beam of wood trimmed into shape with a knife. One seller's scales were made of a couple of wicker baskets, suspended from a rusty iron beam. The eels were kept in sand. This was to make them weigh heavy, and it all came off with the skinning. Betty was as artful as age and experience could make her. After weighing out, say, six or seven pounds, she seized each eel separately, holding it belly upwards firmly in a piece of rag or sacking. It was ripped and disemboweled, ere it could squirm twice. An adroit stab immediately separated the head from the body, and with one dexterous twist and a sharp pull, its skin was taken off, as one draws down a stocking. If an order came from a hotel, the fish were duly weighed, but Betty was inclined to be a bit careless as to how far down the body 
the vertebrae stabbing took place often a good two or three inches of nice fat eel would remain attached to the gaping head inside the skin a few pounds of eels leaving sections behind them would mean a dinner afterwards for betty for nothing gone are those queer and interesting days forever and with them most of those quainter characters which the place the times and the circumstances made distinctive illiteracy and the wild life brought out that which was strongest in their natures making them unique and distinguished in the curious world they lived in those strong instincts and manners which were brought into play by their environment and the exigencies of the life are not so marked in their degenerate successors Braden has so greatly altered and those who follow it to-day have to adapt themselves to things as they find them the Bradener of today is not nearly so interesting an individual as the Bradener of the past. Daydreaming It was a perfect autumn afternoon. Soft, fleecy clouds idly crawled across the sky, as if loath to hurry over the placid waters in which they were reflected. I sat in the stern of the moorhen, sipping an after-dinner cup of tea and watching the sand martins flitting around the rond and walls snapping up heedless flies in less regular flight a few swallows old and young together but taking small heed of each other turned and twisted darted and fell back on their tracks dodging insects that would escape them a kingfisher came and settled on a stump of my little jetty and not seeing me turned his back on me and sat for a few minutes as if deep in thought he made a queer ring of his thick-set body when hurriedly scratching his head with his crimson left foot he still sat thinking and as men when in deep thought whistle he screeched a queer shrill note or two, and then gathered himself together. He suddenly lifted himself a wing, as if he had decided what to do, and after hovering a couple of feet above the water, dropped as if shot, his beak up to his eyes going below water. Then back he came to his perch with a tiny herring, it seemed to be in his mandibles this he rather awkwardly i thought banged on the stump no doubt stunning it breaking its neck i suppose he would have termed it and without doubt he nipped it well at the same time with a funny little upturned twist of his head he gobbled down his victim helping it down with a little straining effort he then shook his head drew it into his shoulders and sat thinking again a ringed plover dashed by piping him the seal of the day without staying for a return of the compliment master kingfisher did not deign to notice the courtesy but simply turned his head to see who went by 
and then sat dumpy again once again he poised himself a wing but only for a moment and then threw himself on the water this time bringing up to his stump what looked like a shrimp or an idotea one of those long-horned crustaceans that zigzag about near the surface on sunny days i only moved a hand but halcyon saw me and with a scream dashed away dropping his prey i saw it fall back into the water a sand martin just now dipped in his flight and snatched up an insect out of the salt tide i wonder if he notices how salt it is some insects sit so lightly on the water that they hardly wet their feet the sand martin i verily believe can ship them up so neatly that the lower mandible does not even touch the surface on the fresh waters i have seen these birds dip their bill readily enough for the concentric rings that pay off from the point of contact are distinctly noticeable our summer birds are evidently leaving us the adult yellow wagtails are certainly gone the wagtails that loaf about the weed-strewn walls are mostly pied of the year only a few late hatched of the yellow species still remaining with us the buff-coloured young wheat-ears flick their tails on clayey boulder and on the marsh rails one of them hopped from our stick-box a while ago wherein he had been studying the habits of the earwigs which hide there four young kestrels are hovering about the walls all within sight at one time seeking field voles one or another stoops now and again to snatch up a dung beetle which it scrunches up in a trice between whiles of waiting and searching for larger prey i have seen a kestrel studiously examining a dung heap and not over savoury are all the beetles to be found there catching the smelts a loud shout comes over the water from jarry how sound travels across braden i have heard the frogs croaking away on the bradwell marshes and braden here at its widest part is fully a mile across my hearing may be keener than most folks but i have heard the cuckoo in may on a peaceful morning calling cuckoo to his mate in the trees yonder that are even beyond the frog's trysting places i sit sometimes in the moorhen on a still evening and distinctly hear the smelters comparing notes or exchanging greetings with the wherrymen passing them in the channel one can tell by their voices often who are conversing they seem usually to be grumbling there is a good tide up and we will sail right away across the flats our brown sail fills with the breeze and lays our punt over to leeward bringing the rail almost to the water we draw but a few inches and there are two feet of water below us now and again a winding drain 
dark and snake-like passes under us while the green water curling from our bows turns over in two white-crested waves that ripple past us and unite in a long bubbling line of foam the waving sea-rack brushes with soft and rasping noises under us and thousands of tiny mollusks are seen clinging to the succulent fronds flounders dart away at our approach leaving behind them a trail of smoky-looking ooze churned up by their undulating fins crabs also run into hiding our speed is lessened once or twice as we charge through patches of roar but on we race again as we break into open water once more putting up gulls that have been crab hunting and one or two herons which have been taking a nap while waiting for the tide to fall one can get as much exhilaration out of a cockle shell of a punt with a steady breeze as out of an ocean greyhound well knowing that the sheet may be let out in a twinkling in case of a stronger wind puff even in case of a spill one can scramble on his feet again and wade after his runaway in comparative safety there is not a gunner afloat today jarry the watchman is jarry the preventive man as with a policeman it is not so much for the crimes he detects as for the infringements of the law he prevents that he is employed here time often hangs heavily on his hands on the top of the flood and at dead low water but he has his smelt net and little trawl and sometimes he picks a mess of eels for supper his smelt net lies there at the stern of his open boat and he has hailed me to go and have a turn at smelting with him i am nothing loath to join him now then said he look lively i believe there's a lot of smelts up and i mean getting a foo jarry has unshipped his mast and sail and thrown them across the houseboat roof the eighty-yard net is a simple sail with a row of cork floats above and a ground rope weighted with leaden bullets at either end is a short pole weighted at the lower end to keep the net in position while a long tow rope at either end completes the apparatus in days gone by braiding the nets was the work of the women who were helped on the rough days by the more industrious of the men who did not prefer idling at the inn nowadays the net minus the floats and sinkers may be purchased ready-made when the men go off to fish it is placed carefully stowed in the stern sheets fold upon fold so that in paying out it goes over smoothly and without kinks writing itself as straight as a wall as the boat leaves it behind two pairs of oars a basket in which to gather and wash the fish and a trunk to contain them completed the paraphernalia with the exception of a bottle of tea i had taken care to bring and the pipe and matches 
which Jari thought even more essential. We rode halfway up Duffel's Drain, and should have gone further, but Snicker Larn and his confederates were well upward, and waiting for the first of the ebb. In smelting, you must have the assistance of the tides, either up or down, down preferably because the smelts will have drawn off the flats into the deeper waters, and the water is thicker from the mud drawn into the drain. Having reached our desired starting place, I slipped over the side of the boat into the shallow, and staggered on to the flat. One wants daily practice to wade neatly on the ooze in big water boots. Jari assumed at once a different character. He now ordered me to easy a bit. Come on, keep the net down, in tones of authority which brooked no disputation. It is a sorry slip-slod tramp, a mere crawl along the ooze, into which one's boots sink at every step, the mud holding one fast like a trap out of which one pulls each leg alternately with sucking sounds. The soft, slimy stuff closes directly the boot is withdrawn, and one had need be sharp sometimes not to leave a boot behind. As the tide drops off the flat, the prostrate patches of weed are taken advantage of, for the mud is a little harder around them, and the fronds will prevent so quick a sinking. To the amateur, it is leg-wearying work, and the clothes suffer woefully from the splash of silt and the dripping of muddy water. The professional braidener dresses like a scarecrow, and puts on his begrimed suit daily, adding to the grease and grime and scales of fish of many a previous fishing. He never brushes his clothes, but with a boat mop. Crabs with uplifted claws threaten mischief as they scramble away, and shrimps skip about in the puddles. Jari rows steadily along the far side of the drain. When are you coming round? I queried impatiently. Now directly, he shouted. Don't you worrit so I had to creep on, hanging to the tow-rope, with my end of the net sliding along at the margin of the stream. Presently Jari rowed in, and leaving the boat to run aground at its own time, the tow-rope being fast to a cleat inside her, he seized the rope and began in a stooping manner, hauling in the net, keeping the bottom part low and curved inward. At each double-handed pull, the half-circle of the net grew slowly smaller, until, when I had joined him, more than half the net had come in. In its folds struggled crabs, and here and there a little fish that had gilled itself. Such smelts as had done so were adroitly pulled out and thrown towards the basket. Those that missed and most did, kicked about in the soft mud until choked, covered, and exhausted by it. All the interest now centred in the few remaining yards of net, 
in which we could see fishers struggling and flicking their tails amid rack and seaweed. With a careful pull, the bite of the net was now pulled in, and we both began throwing bright cucumbery scented smelts by the half-dozen into the basket. "'Look out!' shouted Jari, jerking a small weaver from the net onto the mud and jamming it deeply in. "'I hate them, warmin!' The lesser weaver is an ugly, oblique mouth wretch, with a stuggy little body only a few inches long, a vicious leer and a stiff little dorsal fin, black, spiny and poisonous, and right capable and adroit is he in using the needle-pointed spines. We got half a dozen weavers in all, and Jari healed the lot. Several small herrings, five or six flounders of various sizes, an eel pelt or two, and quite a dozen silvery-sided fishes, which Jari called smolts. I told him they were atherines, and he did not need telling they were dry, tasteless morsels, although sometimes they are foisted upon the ignorant for the more exquisitely tasting smelt. A couple of half-pound eels were left in the bite of the net until all the less troublesome inmates were basketed or thrown away as their worth or uselessness suggested. Quite a bucket of crabs were pitched with the weeds on the flat to be rid of them. Those that had become hopelessly entangled in the meshes were unceremoniously wrenched to pieces. It was useless to think of clearing them without doing so. A few large shrimps and some white prawns were left kicking among the refuse. The net, having been rinsed, Jari carefully replaced it on the stern of the boat and mopped down ready for another turn. The smelts, when rinsed, were laid in rows in the trunk. We got over fifty that haul. One haul is so much like another that it is needless to describe them all. When we got to the edge of the channel, just over the other side of the drain, we made a last haul down to the mouth of the ship drain. The tide had fallen low, and the flat ran well into the channel, a softer bit of ground I had not drilled holes into for several years. I never had such an experience as that. Sink, pull, suck, and wriggle, which passed for progress. Once I overbalanced myself, sank on all fours, and certainly feared that Jari would have to drop his line and come and dig me out. But I persevered and came up smiling and muddy. There was a capital catch in the net this time, and we were very elated. We were hurrying, too, to get in the net before the passenger steamer should pass us, for the heavy swell she makes throws a long sweeping billow on the flat, the roar of which may be heard across Braden. Unfortunately, the skipper yielded to the solicitations of the crowd aboard to go in closer and see em, and before we could get the fish-packed bite of the net in, 
in came the billow the retreat of which pulled the underside of the net out letting the fish slip away in a body i could not help laughing but what jari said is not for these pages our total catch was not a despicable one and when jari bolted down on the last of the ebb to replenish his food bag and water bottles he took most of them with him and packed them off in boxes to the london market the fish that at times find themselves with the smelts in the net are exceedingly varied in species flounders bibs gobies grey mullet and shads sometimes in october great hauls of codlings and whitings are made and when news of this gets adrift all available boats are secured by sea anglers and good sport is obtained gluts of codling are rare in october eighteen ninety they came up braden in huge shoals young pollacks too now and then turn up in numbers and occasionally a coal fish i have records of grey and red gurnards taken a few years ago some small mackerel strayed here and in nineteen o six i saw a fine scad hauled in with smelts lampons and rarely fine lampreys are also taken and the mysterious burbolt has once or twice been captured but i was not fortunate enough to see it the old bradeners assure me they know it and call it the sea eel pelt a smelter's reminiscences jari had left me in charge of the houseboat and i was glad to turn in for tea for i could not get back to the moorhen until tied up in the early morning i had just settled to tea when snicker hailed me i offered him and his mates a drink each and they were glad of it in the few minutes of their stay beside the houseboat we started chatting on their favourite subject the good old days poor old fellows perhaps they have fallen on evil times i know for a fact that snicker and his pals for two whole days in november nineteen o six captured twenty-nine smelts his contention was that so many steamers or luggers fishing in and out of the harbour drove them away what luck lan i asked midland said he what's the biggest haul and largest prices you've known smelts taken and fetch the biggest haul was that ere job of ribbons's seventy score in the middle of may two year ago i remember five and ninepence a score being cleared arter all rail fares and billingsgate dues were paid and coming home that wore a top figure two shillings a score is more nearer the mark it's allers away in comes the fish and down goes the markets ain't it shorten what's that said little shorten who had not caught the remark good tea said larn 
for Jari had left the kettle on the hob since noontime. A handful of tea popped in the kettle is the usual dose, and an every other day's emptying of the accumulated refuse is the custom. In between sips, Lan volunteered the facts that smelt nets average 75 yards in length and are 10 feet deep, costing complete about five pounds. When I was a kid of nine working with my father, the channel was so shallow and the rise and fall wasn't more than four feet. We used to stack smelt nets a thought, three on them perhaps being put in a few hundred yards apart. The smelts used to gill themselves and we got twenty and thirty score a day, sometimes with very little trouble. We used to watch the wherries coming up and down and lower them till they went by. Tides, boar? Why, at the bar there was so little water at low tide that you could hardly shove a shrimp boat over. Smelts hang about here most of the year, but you know, in course, they go up river to spawn in the spring. I've seen em here in August, jumping at the heron sile like a pike at a roach. You've seen queer things here, I suggested. Have I? emphasised Snicker. I've seen porpoises tumbling about here and more than one seal. Then look at that great sturgeon we got. One day we was gone past the dicky works, and I see something floating. I knowed in a minute what it were. It wore a dead body. We rode up to it and seed a poor gal, with her face still red as if alive, and her hands clinched athought her breast. Poor gal, I said, looking at her, with a bunch of reeds tangled in her hair and a yellow water lily clutched in her hand. Why, that's poor Em, I said, and then we remembered it was her as was missing, but how she come up here was a mystery. The feller as had got her into trouble, done a guy, or ran away, and her father turned her out. Poor gal, she was out of her trouble now. Mets, I said, if we tow her down, we shan't get more than five bob, and perhaps lose more in a day, not including the inquest. Someone'll see her lower down, and we can't do her no good. So we rode on, but heard our award as they fished her out again the lower ferry at Galston. They brought her in suicide, he added. Murder, I said would have been nearer the mark. You ain't far out, said Larn. Thank ye, that was a good drop, he added, but we must be a-gone. So long. So long, said the others. Mullet catching. Mulleting is now out of date on Braden, for the nets cannot be worked on the flats. If they were, there would be no grey mullet to catch. Only oddfish now occasionally come into the smelt nets. The flats on which they loved to prowl were seldom dry thirty and forty years ago. 
the nets with their big twelve-inch meals or meshes on either side were staked on the flats at the bottom of the ebb and the fish in their travels pocketed themselves some nets were two hundred yards in length they were also staked alongside the flats lengthways with the tide and the mullet would net themselves in going off the flat endeavouring to reach deeper water in drawing for them great care had to be exercised for they had a knack of jumping the net rope as sheep jump hurdles in a crowd old piero pestle was on one occasion rowing down the channel when a curious freckled appearance on the surface of the water near the north drain against the knoll momentarily suggested to him a shower of rain he at once however saw it was an immense shoal of mullet at play he hastened home and told poker lamb who with charles brackenbury and old jack edmonds all notorieties were then thinking of going up Braden with their nets pestle accompanied them to the north and they speedily surrounded the shoal brackenbury remained in one boat outside the bite of the net splouncing with a pole in order to keep the frightened fish from jumping out but the mullet did not intend to be taken and one or two jumped over in spite of the rumpus and were followed by the whole school of magnificent fishers when the net was hauled in only a solitary individual was found remaining in it the language remarked pestle well i cleared out and it would take something abnormal in that line to frighten pero in bracing days october on the whole is a fairly interesting month fine days intervene between those of rougher kind and the air is bracing the nights are longer and are occasionally frosty there is a fishy aroma pervading the flood tide for the scotch and english luggers are steaming in and out the harbour with their cargoes of silvery herrings the gulls muster up in considerable numbers they too are following the herring shoals and spend many of their leisure hours on the mud-flats often staying there content with the offal from the boats which floats up the river wading birds come and go and the gunners prowl around and among the drains and channels most of the birds have assumed the sober dresses which distinguish them in winter a few now and then such as knots and curlew sandpipers are found tinted with ruddy hues but the majority of the birds are no longer eligible as specimens save for the pot land birds are seen passing over pursuing their quest of a winter dwelling place the swallows have gone the larks and linnets people the marshes visiting the walls for provender there the snow bunting joins them grey plovers rush in when the winds are easterly 
and ducks when the winds are from the north the west winds bring drizzle and discomfort and Braden then is a place for those only who are vigorous and who do business there the hooded crows take possession of it and caw loudly their recognition of their old winter haunts they will mount some stile to watch the passer-by and caw their displeasure at his intrusion end of section sixteen